McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to Pier Forecast episode 200. Well, Pompey remain unbeaten at 26 games as we carry on to the 200th episode. Join the podcast today's Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Not too bad. Happy double century to you, and happy double century to you, Freddie. Uh, yeah, it's nice to come on and not have a defeat to talk about in the milestone episode. Yeah, uh, we did couple of very contrasting away games that week. Hey, there was, I mean, Cambridge United away and, and Reading away. I can't think of really two more opposite games. I know we're talking about the Reading one today, but yeah, life's all right. Weather's dreadful. I'm cold. I can't afford to put my heating on. Pretty much standard problems for probably quite a lot of our listener base. Yeah, I brought one of my mates along from, from work to the Cambridge game, and it was definitely probably a better game if I brought Nick to the Reading game rather than the Cambridge one because that was really quite a dull game but there you go we're not talking about that today good old Michael Morrison shutting us out but let's bring someone in rather than shutting them out Freddie Webb how are you mate? I'm not so bad Hugh yeah happy double century day and I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 200th episode than that pause of game against Reading amazing atmosphere coming back from 2-0 down top of the table 26 unbeaten nothing beats it can't it no, not at all. Let's get that celebrations out. Now, no, I said we would try and do something extra special for the 200 episode. Obviously, I failed. I'm still trying to work out something special for 201 or 202 or whatever it comes to. But yeah, we will celebrate this milestone later on. A bit like my birthday month that I have. It, it, it'll come sometime. It doesn't have to be the actual day of my birthday. It'll come sometime in the month of November. But there we are. Andy, you're still, you still with us or you still playing yeah, the hamster? Yeah. The hamster's wondering if she's getting a welcome to the episode or not. Joe's podcast today is Andy's hamster. How are you, hamster? Can you remember what Andy's hamster's name is? It's called Gida. She is called Gida. Good work. And she's now going to try and eat my microphone. Yeah, uh, she thought she'd join us for for the full episode this week to celebrate the anniversary. She's very excited. I was tempted to dye her blue and white and uh, bring her to Reading. Actually, no, I won't say that. Petter will get on to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do anything to hurt her. Mwah. It's true. He absolutely loves his hamster more than most people do, but it's just the passionate man that Andy is. She annoys me a lot less than most people do, to be fair. She also <laughs> bites me more than most people do. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Not all people, though, by that omission. What are we doing on today's show? <laughs> First of all, I'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Thank you to everyone who has listened for any of these 200 episodes, because... Quite frankly, when we started the podcast, didn't really think we'd ever get to 200 episodes. And the fact that you guys keep listening 
or if anyone's still listening from the start, I mean, you really deserve a pat on the back. Let us know because I will buy you a few pints in return. But thank you so much for everyone who's listened throughout the time of us being doing this. So the fact we still are doing it just means how much we enjoy doing it every week. So we appreciate everyone who's messaged in, spoke to us or just listens. So we appreciate that. All right, let's get into what we're doing today. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Reading. But on from that, we put a question out to you guys and we asked you, can Bobby still keep winning if they go a goal down? We also asked you a question last week, so we will get to your answers because you guys took the time to bother to message in. So we are going to answer those. And it's all talking about Pompey's wingers. Now, I can't quite remember the wording of it, so we'll come back to that. But it's whether or not we're getting enough output, I believe, in creativity from the wide players. And then we spoke to Fred. That's right. There's a better Fred on the podcast rather than Freddie Webb. And we spoke to Fred from Chesterfield Fan TV. On the 200th and final PO forecast episode after we split like the Beatles in 1970 because Webb has a little little huff about being the second Uh, best Freddie. uh, My toys are straight out the pram. I'll get another podcast going. You're already doing that? The extra? Nah. (laughs) 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 All right, let me start again. And then we spoke to Fred from Chesterfield Fan TV to learn everything about the game this weekend on Sunday. Right, let's get going. Reading. The game was set. Andy mentioned to me and gave me a little nudge to remind me again, which is the right thing to do. We should speak about the fan protest before the game. So we'll do that before we get into the actual game itself. Andy, you want to leave this off by saying what you a little overview of what you felt about the, the protest before the game and the general ownership situation with Reading. Yes, a bit of a weird one, this. It was a very strange away day, all in all, wasn't it? It just seemed like literally everything that could have happened, happened. Uh, obviously, they had their march before the game. I sort of walked through the start of it just before they started walking. It seemed fairly well attended. But I think on this one, I'm actually going to say I can see both sides because there was a lot of unpleasant rhetoric aimed at our fan base by a lot of the Reading fan base amongst a couple of others What over 10 years ago now. And I can fully understand why some people feel very little sympathy um, based off that. The other side of me was sort of on the right-hand side of our away end, looking over at the Reading fans who were nearest us, who were having the £50 notes waved at them. And I think the average age of those fans can't have been more than about 19. And I'm fairly certain that a large proportion of those would have been about seven years old when that was taking place. So probably weren't the right targets of our vitriol uh, based off based off their age. But it was a very strange day in that aspect. And the tennis ball protests that they've been doing consistently throughout the season, I think originally it was to sort of get the game get some attention to the game and to their plight on things like Sky Sports News without doing anything actually damaging to the club or, you know, flying a plane with a banner on over it, naming no names that we've seen in the last season or two. But it had a actually, I think, a detrimental effect on us towards the start of the game. You could see that a couple of our players were getting generally pretty hacked off at it. You could see Regan Poole was getting pissed off at the game being interrupted, sort of gesticulating towards their fan base. The first time, because there was a tennis ball on there before kickoff and it was a lone tennis ball. And uh, we were wondering if it was going to multiply. And I, there was a part of me that really enjoyed the, the fact that the Reading fans waited for Will Norris to kick the first ball off before they threw two back. 
And I was kind of hoping we were going to get square numbers. So when he kicked those two off, four came back and then 16. And uh, I, I was, oh, nine and then 16. And it, you professor it, in you. you just want to I know, I quite enjoyed it. Coming out. <laughs> I was thinking if they were just going to multiply every time he kicked a couple off the pitch, it would have been quite enjoyable. But yeah, I think it really had an effect on us in the first half an hour. We couldn't get any momentum going. The game was, it was so disjointed. And I think that's what one of the causes of, frustrations were in the side because we started slow and even aside from going two goals down you know there were miscommunications there that we've not seen in the defense for a while and there were a couple of miscommunications between Norris and Poole um, where they just I don't know if they didn't hear each other and lots of just sloppiness which we're not used to seeing this season and absolutely not jumping on the side because it's been a really, really good season so far and they turned around in this game. But I think it would be inaccurate of us not to highlight that that first 25, 30 minutes was quite sloppy. And I can kind of understand the reasons why because of those protests that were going on. Uh, having said that, I just want to watch some bloody football. I genuinely stop throwing stuff on the pitch, let them play. And yeah, I don't know. Just the entire vibe of the, the the stadium was weird, wasn't it? To be honest with you, there was the anger at the owners combined with how happy they were going two goals up, combined with the poor bloke on the tannoy literally begging them to stop doing it, actually pleading with them going off script over a tannoy that didn't work half the time. It's a stadium that's got goal music, which immediately makes me want the club to struggle. Like Definitely not liquidate, wouldn't wish that on any club, but... It doesn't make the club very, you know, likable to me when they start blasting goal music out. But oh, there was a lot going on in that first half an hour, wasn't there? I'm going to shut up and let one of you uh, actually have a chance to speak. But yeah, the protest stuff was interesting. What did you guys think about how the fans went about doing it before the game and during the game? To be fair, all that extra time we got in the first half proved dividends in the end anyway. Um, yeah, quite. Yeah, karma, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. No, no the protest before uh, for the ground. Absolutely, absolutely fine with that because they have to show themselves up against an owner that, well, obviously doesn't care about the club anymore. He's one of the Chinese owners who bought a club when Xi Jinping wanted that policy of them buying a load of football clubs. That's not there anymore. So he's pulled the plug pretty much as far as I'm aware. The tennis ball process during the game, annoying after a while, but hey, they can do that if they want. But it would help if they actually filled their ground, support their club, but Hey ho, we're not, we're not, not, you're not going to get everything, are you? And beating up the Pompey fans who are in their home end, not exactly brilliant, is it really? My opinion on the Pompey fans waving the notes and the HMRC stuff, I joined in the chance. I didn't wave the notes because I thought that was a bit much, but I think the chants were fine. It was similar to what they did 10 years ago, whatever it was, when Pompey nearly went bust. So it's just swings and roundabouts, really. I don't see anything bad about that. To be honest uh, yeah. with you, I mean, just to just to if, jump if, on if, that if, you, if you're going to say those chants aren't in football, then you may as well not chant anything at that point. Yeah, to just honest. to jump on that quickly, I thought the Reading, obviously their fan base was quite unimpressed at the lack of sympathy, empathy, etc. from the Pompey fan base. But when confronted with the idea that you know your your fan base did this quite vociferously to us eleven years ago, twelve years ago. The fan base response from them, the excuse was generally, yeah, but we didn't know it was going to happen to us, which I kind of don't really think is the point. It seems like a bit of a strange... It's just stupid. It can happen to any football club. It can happen to any football club, unless it's 
one that's bought by an oil state or something. It, yeah, it can exactly. literally happen to any football club. So that's not an excuse at all. And no. th- th- them crying about us not being sympathetic, well, why would we be? We support Porsche Football Club. We don't really care about Reading particularly, to be honest. I'm well, there's, really... there's a difference between not caring about Reading and sort of the actual danger of liquidation. I think those are two separate entities because I don't particularly care about Reading Football Club, but I don't actually want them to liquidate and stop, you know, ceasing uh, cease to exist as a as a football club. Hugh, what were your thoughts on on the protest side of things before we go into the goals? I've got some strong thoughts. I like the guy who threw a paper aeroplane of a fifty pound note that hit me in the back of the head. I thought that was um, that was brilliant. I can be on the side of that. So. I wasn't waving any notes, but I was very happy with people to, to throw paper aeroplanes at them at me. I get like Fred. I stood next to him, me and Jack as well. We just we joined him with the songs, etc. I don't have a problem with the tennis ball protest as such. It was frustrating as a fan. I know the guys from the Elm Park Royals podcast, and I know that from they were speaking to other fan bases as well before they took this action in one of the other games about had it worked, I can't remember if it was Charlton or I can't remember who the other the other clubs were who had actually done the same sort it was, it was of thing. Charlton that basically filled their section of the ground with tennis balls and piggy yeah. banks at one point. Yeah. So effectively, you know, they'd spoken to other clubs about it. They talked about well, how effective it was or wasn't on, on sort of keeping up that media attention, I suppose, to to sort of get pressure on on the club. So I see it I see it from their perspective as well. And it was annoying as a fan. But I sort of understand it at the same time. At the end of the day, for me, it's more about the game, which we're going to come on to now. I think we spent enough time talking about this. So as Andy mentioned earlier on, you know, it was a slow start from us. We have had that in other games as well. But we did look a little bit aimless on the ball, I think. At the back, we looked kind of disorganised, which is not something we've seen that much in previous games, even when we started slowly and, and we've let a goal in, we haven't looked as unassured at the back as as we did, I think, in this game. We left a lot of space in behind and Reading really exploited us from playing pretty simple long balls up over the, over the top or long balls up to one player to sort of head it on, simple knockdowns. It was, it was very simple sort of football and they sort of lined up in a kind of a 4-3-3, which is actually a formation change for them, which they've been asking for as well. So, Reading was sort of playing a new system in this game. In that sense, you expect a team who have been playing the same formation, the same way to to start well against a team who are obviously rock bottom of the league and the vibe of confidence. And that really showed in the first goal that came and it's a simple ball over the top and we really struggled to deal with it. Regan Paul ends up drifting out to sort of try and, as he's a more mobile centre-back, get out to to the wide player and try and close him down. And he gets the ball into the box. It's sort of half-headed out. And in the end, Lewis Wing just does this quite a nice finish, isn't it? It's a little one-touch. He shoots. Nothing Norris can do about it. And it's one now. Yeah, I think with 2020 hindsight, when you're watching it back, I think unless he got a call, there's an argument that maybe Norris should be taking control and coming to collect the cross. But it's very easy to say that having watched the goal back, 15, 20 times in the split second in the moment, it didn't jump straight into my head that Norris should have come and claimed that. But I think having watched it back, he might think he should have if he didn't get a call to leave it. But yeah, it's a, it's a good finish. He's never getting anywhere near it. The shot itself, it's a, just a decent decent finish. It's the build-up that's preventable rather than the finish itself on that one, I think. Yeah, it was the fact that when the ball was out wide before Sam Smith collected it, 
It's almost as if the defenders stopped believing it was going to go out for a, a goal kick. It didn't. And they were surprised when Sam Smith even got to it. And then, and then Paul rushed out. But by then, Smith put the cross in. I wouldn't say it was a bad clearance by Shaughnessy, but it was just, you know, it was one of those clearances where it would be nice if, if one of our midfielders was in that area to get onto it again. And it was a lovely finish from Lewis Wing. He's a, he's played in the championship before. He's a good, he's a good player. And Reading showed that. A lot of their players have played at higher levels or have played decently in League One. I mean, aside with Sam Smith, Lewis Wing, Nesta Guinness-Walker, Andy Year, Dom, Sam Hutchinson, Harvey Nibs, those sorts of players, they're decent. They're decent players. And, and the side is probably underachieving due to all the stuff that was off the pitch. And Reading pressed incredibly high in the first quarter of an hour. Their PPDA was like 9.7, and that was the highest press they put up in the entire game. They were getting in Pompey's faces, getting in the tackles, following up on the direct long balls, and Pompey didn't deal with it well at all. It was pr- That first 20 minutes, half an hour from Pompey, I don't think I've seen a worse stint this season from the side, I don't think. Yeah, to be fair, they've set a fairly high bar, but... It was probably as disjointed as we've seen them, I think, and Reading took their chances. Yeah, agree. And then it's not that far later on. It's four minutes later and it's two now. It's sort of this bang-bang situation and it's come from a throw-in on, on, the, on the Reading right-hand side. few passes. Tino Andrian gets absolutely skinned, which Freddie Webb was absolutely shouting about. He wanted him to never start again at wing. He was he was absolutely he was raging. I've never seen him go so red. But yeah, he gets absolutely skinned on that side. Ball comes into the box, and again, it's it's cut back, and you know, Savage gets on the end of it, and it's two now. It's another one where the end finish is a really good goal, and there's potentially not a huge amount popping can do about the end point of the move. But yeah, it's the preventable bit is the the stage before in the play where yeah, Andrian gets sold on the on the left back position there and I mean the first 25 minutes um, he wasn't the only player to look a little bit all at sea but I mean we'll move on to his confidence after scoring the goal he looked like a literally completely different player and was one of the best players on the pitch after after that point but yeah it's you shouldn't really be getting into a position where you're at quite a high risk of conceding a goal from from one little piece of skill on the touchline. So, yeah, questions asked there, but the actual finish itself, again, it's a nice connection. I think Norris is slightly unsighted. It's a, it's a half-decent goal. We don't have to really slam everyone for every goal we concede, I don't think. Yeah, it was rather similar to the first one by the fact that the, build, the defending in the build-up was very poor, I thought. Andy Yeardom, I know it was a good bit of skill to get it, get it on his right foot to put the cross in, but it was too easy because Andrew and Anne Sparks were there. They almost got in each other's way at times. And it linked with the fact that Pompey's defence was completely disjointed and the midfield. I didn't think those midfielders in the first half an hour knew where they wanted to be. Devlin, Robertson and Morell, they didn't know who was dropping back to defend, who was staying forward to collect the ball. And they, ju- they just simply just simply weren't solid defensively like they were. And that's where a lot of the frustration come, came from. It looked as if in that first half an hour that Pompey wouldn't get a hang of it. And after that goal, Colby Bishop was doing whatever to John Massino, giving a few words to change it tactically as well. So it's quite clear that at that point, 
just after the second goal, the the game was slipping an awful lot. There was a there was a chance where I think Bishop had a shot, but then David Button saved it near post. But that was about it, I think. So it took a lot for this side to get back into the game, and I'm really pleased they did. Yeah, I think just the final thing on uh, on that is with uh, is Andy Yeardom. He's right-footed there. We know he's right-footed. And the two options in that position where he's got the ball facing Andrew on the, t- on the touchline there is he's either going to play the safe ball back up the line, he's got a man supporting up the line, or he's going to do the more dangerous thing and cut down the line to get the ball in on his right foot. And, you know, Andrew isn't isolated there. So I think, again, in hindsight, 2020 hindsight, looking back at it with plenty of time, I think you need to be covering the line there. It's not rocket science to, you know, cover the line and either make him play the simple pass retaining possession or show him onto the weaker foot. But you said there, Fred, about uh, Button in goal for Reading. This was a quite an annoying day. He's not had a great season for them. He has made a lot of individual errors this year for Reading and he has been the cause of a lot of goals that they have conceded and he has been the the target of a lot of ire from Reading fans. And he had a really good game, didn't he? He made some really good saves, which is uh, it's always a frustrating thing when you know a keeper's coming in low on confidence and then they have a worldy match against you. But uh, yeah, he made some very good saves in this game and then not that far away from scoring near the end. Yeah, we'll go on to that good save then before the goal because... Jack Sparks, I thought, had a very good game going forward in, again in this. And he's just so important with his delivery into the box, isn't he? And he does it from the dead ball here where he's, he's sort of 40 yards out on the left-hand side. He puts a great ball into the box. Bishop gets ahead on it and Butter makes a, a world of a save, to be honest. He gets such a strong hand on it as well. There's a lot of velocity on that ball. And at that stage, he's thinking, OK, is it not going to be our day? But... Luckily, it's not very much later on. Um, the ball gets passed down the right-hand side into space for Paddy Lane. Just want to pause here quickly because Freddie's always been a big supporter of Nesta Guinness-Walker. He's mentioned him on many a times. I thought he thought he was really, really poor in this game. Really we've, poor. We've been close to, well, rumoured to be fairly close to signing him on more than one occasion, haven't we, in the last three or four years? Yeah, he's had a really, really poor game here. And he just left so much space for Paddy Lane in behind. And speaking to Reading fans, that's been pretty normal, really, from him. I know he's come back into the side, he's been out, etc. But apparently he's been really poor defensively. I mean, obviously he's been playing quite a bad back line. I think Reading have now conceded the most goals in the division. And they've got one or two games in hand, depending on which teams you look at. So that says enough about it. But it's not taking anything away from Paddy Lane because the ball's put in behind... What he does really well here is he, instead of just sort of like playing it to you know a striker in the box or putting it in behind the defence, he sees Andrews coming in late and he puts it back to the at that spot where he pulls it back and it's a really really lovely little finish, isn't it, from Tino Andrews because he sort of almost side foots it from eighteen yards into the bottom corner, bish bash bosh, it's one one no two one. Yeah, I think if you uh, if we were on the football cliches podcast here and you said to me to imagine a goal that someone sweeps home. That is precisely the goal that would come into my head. It has to be sort of a side foot, either first touch or second touch. And it has to be sort of not back in the direction that the pass came from, if that makes sense. And I think that finish, you could set me up with that ball in from the right a hundred times. I think I would hit the target twice with any power or accuracy, none out of a hundred. I think the technique on that is 
out of this world. And I don't think it's quite got the, not the credit it deserves. It hasn't quite got the plaudits it maybe deserves in terms of difficulty factor because it pulled us back to 2-1 from being 2-0 down. But Yeah, it almost looks like a, a side foot volley. Yeah, technique-wise, yeah. I'm still not entirely sure how he's done that and kept it down and kept the power on the ball or put extra power on the ball from the ball in on the right. Still not sure how he's done it. I think it's an absolute worldie of a technical goal for me. Yeah, massively. And Freddie Webb then decided to change his opinion straight away and start the man at left wing every single game. But yeah, no. I mean, I mean, mean? yeah, it, I thought it was brilliant that he was able to get that goal and the technique was superb. He followed the Gareth Evans mould of arriving late into the penalty area on the edge of it to sweep home a lovely finish. I was really impressed with the build-up from the back in this because it went all the way from Will Norris. Then some good interplay between Joe Morrell and Alex Robertson and they seem to suddenly click again together when they have possession and when when the press wasn't there enough as much. Robertson's through ball to lane was brilliant. Completely splits the defence in a a lane with a lovely cross and I think he's grown into that right-wing role especially And, and that signing which at first looked a bit ropey where he was in and out the side a little bit now looks brilliant I think. And yeah, again, Lovely finish from Andrew. I think Scout gave it a 0.11 XG, I think, on that shot from there. And yeah, lovely finish brought us back into the game 2-1. And thankfully, the Blues kept going after that. I think Ropey's a bit harsh. But he's for his early performance. Well, in the, in the first call, season, when it, I'm when calling when you on that. A bit. He was yeah, exactly. Ropey. Yeah, he, I think it's very harsh. To call Last season, Ropey I thought he was Ropey. He, did, he, he, did, he didn't really cement himself inside, did he? No, I don't think... I don't think ropey is fair. I'm going to be with Andy on this, but what I would say is his golden assist output wasn't wasn't really there. So I think his performances were there, but I don't think his impact on the you know the goal tally as, as such as assists and goals were there in the same way. But yeah, I think it's f- fair to say though that he's really found his form now, getting some early goals and assists, and he looks like such a confidence player and such a difference maker. The kind of player that can just break past someone, break a line draws defenders in as well well it was him that almost did something ridiculous when it was still nil nil wasn't it with his his break and the the attempt to lob button from what 40 yards out when he had absolutely no other options it's that kind of thing where we looked a little bit flaggy to start with and the one real moment of hello came from a complete individual moment from him where he intercepted a pass ran for himself with no options, ran for about 20, 25 yards and, yeah, tried to lob button from just inside the Reading half. So, as you say, yeah, it's that kind of you never quite know if something sparkly is going to happen. And, yeah, it's nice to have that in the side. And I think he's looked consistently good the last few games. Even even the Cambridge game, I thought he brought a little bit to, to our attacking threat there. To roll it back to the game action, there was an opportunity for Reading when... We went, we're, you know, we're 2-1 down. Reading had the chance to, to go in really 3-1 up rather than going at 2-2. And it's a chance where Alex Robertson in the final third tries to win a free kick. It's not given. I don't think it looks like a free kick personally watching the replay. He just sort of tries to buy a free kick. Doesn't get given. We talked about how Reading sort of transferred the ball quickly up the pitch, really direct attacking us. And they play a really nice through ball in between the, in between the defenders. Not quite sure what Will Norris is doing here. He sees the defenders in trouble. He comes out and tries to sort of close the angle down, but he's never going to get to that ball. 
and the Reading player beats him, knocks it round him. And there is a saying, isn't there? And it's just slipped my mind. But when things aren't going your way, they're really not going your way. That's what I'm going to say, because that empty goal, that has to go in, open goal. Instead, he just skies it over the bar, uh, much to my relief and all probably fans of the stand. Yeah, it was Sam Smith as well with that chance, who out of, out of the Reading players, a striker who scored goals at this level before, you would put more money on him scoring for that chance than not. And yeah, skies it over the bar. Maybe it was because he was put off at the keeper brushing at him, so he had to bring it on his diagonal. But I, I still think he probably, to use a commentary cliche, he should have done better. Yeah, I thought live, I thought it went a lot further over than it did. I thought it cleared the bar by like four or five yards live. Having watched it back, it was really close. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Will Norris forgets he's not Neuer for a minute to pull him back from a couple of, well, Neuer a couple of years ago at Bayern. And uh, yeah, commits, not the best decision, but um it's fine. We're very results oriented here at the PO forecast and we didn't concede. So it's all absolutely fine and doesn't need any form of analysis. Exactly. And then there's the, the equalizer. So again, Jack Sparks, I think gets on the ball here. He plays it forward, goes to Colby Bishop. Not quite sure who it was. I think Devlin tries to sort of like play it through. It cannons completely off the Reading defender. And again, and quite contrast to to Reading and nothing going their way, being down the, down the bottom with us, things are going our way at the moment. It bounces through beautifully for Paddy Lane, who does, you know, what he does best now and finds Colby Bishop to tap home. I don't think he's offside here. It's my first question to you boys. Some Reading fans thought he was. So Andy, do you think he's offside? No, no, I don't think he was. I think the Reading fans are incorrect and I think they are biased. But um, what I liked about this was sort of the patience in the Pompey build-up because it was what it was the it was eight minutes of added time and this was in the eighth or the ninth minute of added time because of all the tennis ball stuff and there was quite a lot of ill-contented murmurings as Pompey just retained possession and passed it around the midfield and back to defence and played possession football essentially when it was about to be half time and there were a lot of you know just get it in the mixer being shouted around me potentially with fairly good reason because it looked like we were just going to keep the ball till half time but credit where it is due yeah waited until the opportunity or the correct opportunity of um made itself available and yeah as you say we get the the luck of the the luck of the bounce which as you say when things are going well it happens for you when your backs are against the wall, that happens against you. I think it was Devlin after the game was saying that he, one of his instructions for the day was just to stay really close to Colby Bishop. And it was an example of that really working out well. Because we've said when things have gone poorly or relatively poorly in games for Pompey so far this season, it's tended to be the stages of the games where Bishop has looked isolated. And just from that instruction that Massinho has given to Devlin for the game, you can see that he has noticed the same thing and is directly addressing it with the instructions he's giving to the players coming in. So that's reassuring. Just from an interest, talking about Terry Devlin, sorry, Fred, for one second there, because obviously he got the goal and we'll come on to that a bit later, but staying close to Bishop and you getting all those knockdowns, he led the the team with six shots as well in this game, which is, which is pretty impressive, really. And obviously gets a goal from that. But he also was joint first in tackles as well on the pitch with three. I'll be interested if Freddie knows where he won those tackles, how high up the pitch they were, or whether they were defensive or in the offensive zone. 
purely on the basis that when we signed him, one of the things we liked a lot about him was how many offensive duels he won, how many times he won the, the ball back high up the pitch. So the combination of leading tackles and also being the player with the most goals, I think this, sorry, the most shots, I think the second most, I think Andrian came second with three shots during the game as well. So you can see that he actually having six shots or attempted shots anyway towards goal and then also making you know, team leading three tackles during this game as well means that he really sort of took that that advice that Andy was talking about while still sort of being that biting, attacking sort of eight role that he played a bit further up the pitch. Yeah, Freddie I just had, quick, had a quick look at Terra Devlin's tackles. 50% on his duels after the 20 that he did and he made four recoveries in the entire game and all four of them were in the opposition half, two of them around the penalty area and two of them in the third between Reading's penalty area and the halfway line. So no, um, doing incredibly well and almost like it was mentioned on that review podcast where Devlin got in the face, in the faces of the defenders. It was very mobile and always wanted to be in the game and aggressive. And that's the, that sort of play gets you into the starting 11, especially while Marlon Pack's injured as well. Devin's definitely took in his chance and he's he's played incredibly well. And I have to mention it. I love the celebration from Colby Bishop for that goal. Perfect tennis ball throwing, perfect arc, I thought. Just jumping on to the end of the game, because you're talking about the tennis ball celebration, because apparently that was one of the reasons that it kicked off after the final whistle, because they weren't happy about Colby Bishop's celebration. I'm I'm not sure if you meant how many times they stopped the game because he was waving his fingers saying four, four as if maybe it's four times they had to stop or whatever. But I do I do like the fact that that it sort of annoyed got under the skin of the Reading players obviously throughout the second half. Rumor that I have no idea if there is any uh, truth to it whatsoever, but the rumor I saw was that after the game, one of the Pompey players suggested to the Reading players that they might be better off if they played tennis instead of football on a Saturday afternoon. That's what I heard. I there might not even be a grain of truth in it, but uh, that was the rumor on the grapevine, which I'm I'm choosing to believe was true because it just ties in with the narrative I'm choosing to believe this season of picking up points on the pitch and uh, just winding everybody up while they're doing it. And I I want that to be my team this season, so I, I'm choosing to believe that. Yeah, it showed they were rattled by that, especially with the handbags after the game and the red card. It's the difference between a side that's got character and some mental backing, I thought. Lads, question for me. What did John Messina get booked for? Because I looked up and he got given a yellow and I genuinely don't know what it was for. And I've not really seen... I don't. I didn't see him get asked about it after the game. I don't know if I missed that part of an interview, but I have genuinely no idea what he did or said. I assume it would be just him saying something to the fourth official, the referee and the referee booking him. Presumably, I don't know. I, I actually oh, don't know what do, got why, do, why didn't we think of that, Freddie? It was something to do with something he might have said to the fourth official or the referee. It's that type of analysis that has got us to two hundred episodes because you don't get that elsewhere. I'm you so don't. glad that we've uh, we've locked down this standard sort of trifecta of uh, Hugh, me, and I think it referred to myself in the third person there of Hugh, me, and Freddie. I was reading our names on the Zoom call and I nearly went full meta and started talking myself as an out-of-body experience. But uh, yeah, thank you for, for the contribution there, Freddie. It just seemed strange timing because it was when we'd come back into the game and we had some momentum 
And, you know, we'd scored, was it before the third goal or after the third goal? I'm not sure. But either way, we had the momentum in the game. So it just seems an odd time that he would potentially be, if Freddie's in-depth prediction is correct, and he did say something or do something to the fourth official on the touchline. Just don't know what would have caused that. But uh, if you guys don't know, then uh, someone write in and tell us. Yeah, at PO Forecast. Let's talk about the winner. There was some really smart play in, in the way they won the ball back. We really pressed Reading in the middle of the pitch, won the ball back well. Then we were sort of in our flow at this stage. So instead of doing, I suppose, what some teams would do, who are trying to get the winner and just pushing forward, we do what, you know, Messino's coaches team to do. And that's just sort of pass the ball, recycle it, rework it. Eventually it gets to Alex Robertson, who just shows his class once again. And hopefully that man gets a goal at some point soon. But... He just switches the play really nicely to Jack Sparks. And I'd like to say that Jack Sparks here as well takes the ball down really well as well. It's not an easy thing to, to receive that pass, but then to also sort of collect it. He just takes it one touch to his left. He pushes it forwards into the right space. Zachary wants it, takes one more touch, knows where Colby Bishop is all, at all times, it seems. Finds Colby Bishop. He knocks it down. And who's in the right place at the right time? As we've mentioned, staying close to Colby Bishop is Terry Devlin. It's not far out, but it is also, to be honest, you know, a nice hit, isn't it? It's, it's a clean strike. He wasn't going to make the same mistake as Sam Smith and blast it over the bar. And it, the crowd goes wild. It's 3-2. One of my favourite Pompey goals of the season, that was, I think. I think I read in the Neil Allen tweet, it was 13 uninterrupted passes, which involved nine players on the pitch. And the technique for that goal was superb. I mean, how many players in this division would be able to switch the ball like Robertson did all the way to Sparks on a sixpence? And then the touch by Sparks, like Hugh said, to actually bring the ball out and put it into the right crossing position. Bishop having the awareness to also head it back across the box because as a striker, if he wanted to head it on goal, I wouldn't have blamed him. And Terry Devlin with an excellent finish because it wasn't the easiest of finishes. I know it was very close in the six-yard box, but he hit it, still hit it on the volley. Could have easily gone wrong there. It didn't. It was right up high. And yeah, one of my favourite goals of the season. Absolutely loved it. I think from a Reading fan perspective, you'd be a little annoyed that with the defending there, you lose the header. Devlin's not a massive guy and you've let him get in front of you to be able to hit that without a challenge, really. So... I think from a Reading perspective, you'd be quite quite annoyed at that poor defending, especially after being 2-0 up. Yeah, I think with with that ball in from the left from Sparks, I think as a Reading, trying to put my head into a Reading fans here, I think you either have to at least compete for that knockdown for the first first uh, first ball for the, the Bishop wins, or you've got to win the second ball because you've got two men standing off because you've not competed for the first ball. And they've done neither of those things. Bishop is essentially unchallenged, and by the I mean obviously the knockdown is good, but the the space that is there for Devlin, if you're not going to challenge Bishop for that header, you have damn well got to make sure that your position is there for the second ball. And they just did neither of the options. So yeah, I agree with Freddie. Aesthetically, really really pleasant goal to watch. Um, all aspects of it were yeah inch perfect essentially, and. Bishop, I happened to be watching him just before the ball came in anyway. And from the moment the ball left Sparks' foot, it was obvious what he was going to do from his body position. He knew where Devlin was going to be. There was no 
there was no even a thought in his head of going for goal or heading it loopingly back across goal. It was clearly obvious from the moment the ball left Sparks' foot what Bishop was going to do. And I think as a Reading fan, that's going to work you slightly because I think from, from their side, it's preventable. However much from our side, that's a really pleasant goal for our, our team to score. And just to go back, I suppose, we sometimes we talk about the fact that the Bishop can get isolated. So it was nice to see that game plan being executed properly and having someone around like Devlin who managed to get in close and root the rewards. And what a celebration that was as well. The cam from you know, from Max and the Pompey Media team there, you know, looking at the celebrations from Devlin and the team just shows what a tight-knit squad we are. I know he was over the moon to get his first goal from the first start there, but it just looked like complete passion, didn't it? It reflected the fans' jubilation in the stands, really, having, you know, that sort of like overspill of passion after being 2-0 down. Reading did have a chance just moving us on quickly near the end of the game where, to be honest, the player there who shot, I didn't write it down, he had a lot of space really before he had that shot and he drove straight through the middle. He gets a good connection, shoots it down to Norris's right. And it's a really good hand from Norris there to palm it around the, around the post. Yeah. To be honest, the the better save I thought didn't actually make the highlights package. The, there was another one that Norris made to his right as well, that sort of tipped it either over the bowl or around the post. It was an absolute worldie of a save. And I'm quite frustrated. It didn't make the highlights package because I want to watch it back. And, I think one of the, in a way, pleasing things about this season so far is the amount that literally every single player is contributing. You wouldn't say that anyone has had an easy ride of it. Even, you know, you'd, you'd look at a team top of the league, 15 games in, unbeaten, you think the goalkeeper will have done bits here and there. But Norris, we're looking at that Carlisle game, he makes a really, really good save in the last minute of that, that, you know, if we concede there, do we go up the other end and score a winner? Possibly, probably not, I would imagine. Um, same for this, without his a couple of really good saves from him. Do we win this game 3-2? No, we absolutely don't. And there's been occasions throughout the season where he's made really high-level saves and then we've just gone up the other end and scored. And the second part of that wouldn't have happened without the first part. And it's just it's reassuring. It's, it's nice to know. And it's kind of similar with, um, with Macy, who signed last season, when Norris signed, there were some comments from from previous clubs he'd played for saying that there were some, you know, quite iffy mistakes in him. But he's been really solid for us, hasn't he? So, yeah, really reassuring. Uh, heart and mouth moments, though, for us. We should have been 4-2 up, really. I think Poole should score his header that goes into the ground and over the bar. And uh, Button makes, uh, earlier in the half, had made a really good save from uh, another Andrew in overhead kick. It seems to be one of his things. That's He did one in whatever trophy it was, EFL trophy the other week as well. Seems to be one of his uh, party tricks. Bit of squeaky bum time there. Just a quick off the, sort of slightly off topic question. Reading goalkeeper, bald. Is it just me that spent that entire game thinking that Marcus Hanneman was still hanging around from like 2007 playing in goal for Reading? And I feel quite old saying that, bearing in mind our Chesterfield guest said that he was, uh, is about to say that he was... uh, too young in 2014 to really remember many games, which has just ruined my evening. But yeah, just me that thought Marcus Hanneman was in goal for most of that match. I think if it was Marcus Hanneman, he probably made it, would have made a few more clangers, I thought. Yeah, fair comment. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on. We put a question out to you guys and we uh, said... Uh, Hugh, actually, hang on. There's one last bit for this game. 
the bit that we have to do every single week, and especially on the Double Century episode, we're keeping it in. What are the major fixtures of this show? So for this week, since it's his debut goal and debut and first league start, let's go for Terry Devlin's crisp volley to make it three two to Pompey that sent the fans wild. What was the expected goals of that finish? Fairly certain I went first last time because I remember being quite aggy about it. So uh, Hugh, after you. All right. Last time, me and Andy made an absolute shocker going ridiculously too low on Guess the XG. And usually it's the other way around. So I'm just having to think about whether Tezza Devlin, he sort of, all right, it's a volley, isn't it? That's my, that's one of my considerations for this. He is just outside the six yard box. There is not really a defender. Is there blocking him? Let's have a think. Nowhere near him, basically. I'm going to go with 0.41. Okay. As tempted as I am just to go 0.40, just to be a complete dick, I think that's too high. And yep. I won't go 0.4. I think the fact it's on a volley, I th- I'm going to guess with XG as a metric, that suddenly takes about 0.3 off the XG. I don't know. I will go with 0.4. Oh, it's so tempting to be an ass. I will go with 0.23, I think. Andy Mitchellmore is the closest with his 0.23. This is where he normally says, but you're both awful. Andy was just... No, 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 no. You're you're quite near it. Scout gave Devlin 0.28 for that finish. And I think a lot of it was simply because it was full flush on the volley. Like I said earlier, it, it, a lot could have gone wrong there. He could have just blazed it over the bar or not got the proper connection to it. There may be a different thing for Guess the XG soon because apparently my YSL subscription is getting changed. If it's too expensive, I'll have to find something else. So there we are. But for now, we're keeping the game in. And no, I'm not saying that to get people to donate for it because if it's too expensive, I won't have it anyway. So, I have never, ever yeah. cheered on the capitalists quite so much as hoping they increase the price of Scout for my own personal gain as I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the plus point of so much capitalism before. I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on board now. Freddie has like one of those like legacy subscriptions that he's allowed to pay for monthly being the fact that he was, I think what, probably one of the first 10 people to sign up or something. Cause when I looked at getting an additional account, they said that, I had to pay annually and it was a certain amount. So Freddie's monthly subscription at what was it, Fred? 30 so, yeah, any, anywhere but <laughs> anywhere between twenty or twenty-five euros, it changes on currency conversion. <laughs> so it's somewhere around there every month, I think. I saw a rumor on social media that Freddie was using Y Scout to help his revision for his year six SATs, but uh that's unconfirmed. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny, Freddie? <laughs> no, Y Scout was definitely not a thing when I was doing SAT. All right. Well, on that, Andy Richmore, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, on that, on congratulations. Can we please have an update as to whether or not the trophy successfully made its way into the leasing car Majeski Stadium complex or not? Because I forgot to bring it to the Abbey Stadium and that is on me. Devastated about that as well. Sorry? I was devastated about that as well because my pal had a backpack. 
yeah, that that one is on me, and I I do apologise and hold my hands up for that. Uh, but I've rarely seen someone as hacked off as you were in Weatherspoons in Reading when I pulled it out of my coat pocket along with a Portsmouth FC manager game, and I feel like you were genuinely tempted to leave it in the Weatherspoons until you realised that I would actually have been annoyed having spent an entire five pounds on the trophy. But uh, yeah, can you give us an update on on the movements of the trophy? Where is it now? Is it still in Adam's hold all? You know, what what's happening with it? Do you get to keep it? The trophy has not been left in Weatherspoons. I can confirm that. So that's that's one thing. I saw Andy's face. It was raging. It was much more annoyed than Freddie after he thought Andrew should not be playing left wing. He looked at me dead in the eyes, gave me the death stare and was literally like, you're not leaving this in the Weatherspoons sort of thing. So I didn't. I didn't leave in the Weatherspoons. I'm a considerate fan. I did consider it, consider sticking it down my trousers and trying to smuggle it into the game. Is that just a giant trophy in your trousers or are you pleased to see me with the jokes? Skinny jeans were a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing skinny chinos. They're not really skinny. They're just standard. They're just too small for me as I put weight on. But yeah, so no, it's not. It is still alive. The challenge is still alive, Andy. Fight for another day, put it that way. This is the most ambiguous answer I've ever heard. I'm going to you're like a politician. Squirming. I did a political science based degree. Cute. Where geographically is the trophy right now? Well, I can't really speak to where it is right this second in time because it's actually in a in a place that is constantly moving. So, yeah, it's it's basically unfortunately not there, but you'll find out at the next home game. So Adam's got it. Yeah, it's in Adam's car. <laughs> I'm glad we clear that up. <laughs> and the the game, has he got that as well? He has the game and the okay. trophy, in which I will attempt to str- smuggle into Fratton Park instead. Okay. The other thing I was wondering, just before we move on, at the Reading Stadium, we all got completely patted down on the way in. I genuinely don't know how they got that many tennis balls in. Are they just not doing the same extensive searches on the Reading fans? Because we yeah. got patted down pockets, it's everything. It's always the same for away yeah, fans at any same. ground, isn't it? Where they, so... where they let home fans go in with whatever and away fans get searched as if you've got... Yeah, but they're throwing stuff on the pitch every week. This is very yeah. avoidable from a stewarding perspective. Although if I was a student that was a steward that wasn't being paid, I probably wouldn't be that committed to my role anyway. But yeah, just we had... Maybe a bit more of the, you know, it felt a bit more like a third date than it did a, a search on the way into a football stadium from an away perspective. I'm just surprised that they are not implementing that when uh, they're trying to stop people throwing stuff on the pitch. I don't know. Anyway, that's quite, just a side note. Not quite as intrusive as Sunderland away, where it felt like I just got a flight in from either like Colombia or something into the United States with like a giant backpack yeah, on my the, back. Yeah, the Sunderland away was definitely the worst one. True. We, we, yeah. We, we, yeah. We, 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 with a sniffer dog almost putting its head in my pocket. An army of sniffer dogs it was. Army of sniffer dog, stewards sort of putting their hands where they shouldn't, should we say, to double check nothing was in that position. Yeah. Catching your trophy where you didn't want them to. <laughs> exactly. And, the, and, Sparkly they, and, somehow, and somehow that flare that went into the home end still got in. So it didn't really work, did it? Someone's mm. got a right passion for getting things into grounds i don't know how i've done that but fair play to them other thing i just want to flag i want to do a shout out to the anonymous person i had going back the week before because we we missed this a week of podcasting last week thanks to hugh's wi-fi and walking out of the abbey stadium obviously there's a lot of singing you know um 25 you know 25 i say 25 undefeated 
And um, there was a Portsmouth fan, this lady walking through the park was like, yes, we get the point. Like shouted it. She was really un- unhappy with uh, with people celebrating being 25 un- or 24 unbeaten, whatever it was at that point. And I think that deserves a shout out because no, no shits were given. And uh, she was just very open about the fact that she she knew how many games we were undefeated. We'd told her plenty of times that that was enough. And I respected that. While we're doing shout out, shout out to Tom and his mate. And the only reason I can't remember his mate's name is I haven't got his Insta, but me and Fred met some people, Pompey fans, and went to Vodka Revs in Reading after the game. So shout out to Tom there for quite a good laugh and some drinks. So there we go. Big up. I'm sad I missed that one. I had South Africa against New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup final with about eight South Africans at my girlfriend's <laughs> house and a and a braai. And thankfully, the result went the right way. So I think I was out about nine hours earlier than you, as in my, my, my evening finished at about half past midnight instead of eight in the morning. But it was a good day, that, sporting-wise. Pompey yeah. win domestic bliss thanks to South Africa winning but it doesn't get much better yeah that trip that trip to Vokarevs was worth it even though it did delay me with a, a t- it took it like an hour, I had to wait an hour and a half at Basingstoke railway station because some bloke drunk bloke on my train refused to get off so yeah do you to... feel sorry for Freddie by the way Andy considering we constantly make long journeys back from Fratton Park that are always delayed and always getting stuck at stations and it's sort of a roles reverse with Freddie as I yeah, as I rolled in from the Cambridge game in the early hours of the morning, and as I get back from Fratton Park games after you know either a two and a half hour drive or three hour train trip, yeah, I I don't remember ever getting that much sympathy from the the guy on the call with the largest beard, if I'm honest. So I'm slightly loath to return the favour. No, but you know, well, this I'm, is I'm... this goes back to the Portsmouth versus Reading protest. You know, do we lower ourselves to that to that level of you know, just lack of empathy and and just being, you know, yes, is my answer to that. Yeah, in this case, I, ab- I absolutely it, yeah, do. It, it, it's yeah. banter, it's fine. Oh, okay. okay, it's the home of witty banter, Freddie Webb, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, let's get back on track. Let's move on. We put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey came back from 2-0 down to beat Reading 3-2. Can Pompey keep winning games after conceding the first goal? And thanks people that messaged in. We really appreciate it. Both the questions. We'll come on to the next one after that. Probably should have done it in chronological order. This is the one on my iPhone. So there you go. Tim Foot messaged in and he says, looks like I'm a bit late responding to this. You're in time, Tim. It was great to be at the Reading game. Damn it, we forgot to meet up. When we went 2-0 down, I still felt we'd win. Haven't felt like that in years. The shame is that we go behind so often. Hopefully we can start taking leads and building on them. I'll be interested to hear if you guys think that this is sustainable. Freddie, do you think this is a sustainable model for Pompey, number one? And secondly, do you think it's a sustainable as in that we'll just start going one now ahead of teams, hopefully, and that will turn around? Well, the second point, I think so, because the side is continuing to play really well, especially at home. And they're very comfortable in possession as well. So they've got the ability to control a game. And the greater ability a team has to do that, the more likely they are to go one up in the first place. It seems that they're conceding a lot of different goals in terms of giving up the lead. In this one, it was, I would say, a mixture of poor defending and some and, and two moments of quality for Reading's goals. 
there have been some where a few followed a pattern where it was just a fast counter-attack where Pompey had a lot of players up and they didn't deal with it very well. I think but one of Barnes's goals all the way back then. I know he weren't behind at that point. One of those goals it was from out wide caused a lot of issues. Then there was one for, against Wickham that was just a freak from a corner. It won't be sustainable long-term. You can't, a side can't keep conceding the first goal and then going back every time, surely. It just, it just doesn't seem like it would fit, I think. But I think in the future, Pompey will have better control of games where it just won't happen in the first place. Yeah, you'd think it would be one of those sort of regression to the mean things over the course of a season. Having said that, if we get to the 27th of April or 28th of April or whenever that last game of the season is, if we haven't regressed to the mean and we've kept going behind, I'm going to be thrilled to be wrong. So, yeah, I'm absolutely fine with it if we're incorrect on this one. But, I mean, we said it sort of two games ago or where we've gone behind. We said, oh, this can't keep happening. And it's happened twice since. So long may it continue. I'd rather it didn't. That you know, we we feel the need to do that, but if we'd go a goal down, I'm not gonna not gonna complain that there's that fight in the team that it gives them a massive kick up the backside and and they go down the other end and turn it around. And yeah, I'm not gonna say anything complaining at the moment. They're top of the league, undefeated in however many, 25, 26. I just wish we did it from behind a little bit less often. I think this this reading game was <laughs> This Reading game was the first time that we'd done it from two goals down this season. I think all the others have been one goal down. And yeah, you don't want to give yourself a mountain to climb. This is almost as in-depth analysis as Freddie's. I think Messino said something to upset the fourth official to get booked. You know, us saying it's generally not good to go a goal down in a football match. It's it's more high-level analysis. I'm glad we're using that Y Scout subscription to its full to its full potential. I will definitely bring in the high level analysis. All I heard then was you want to do it from behind less often. So I was like, fair enough. Um, let's move on. Staying muted, <laughs> staying muted. I have so many responses and I am meant to be an adult. Therefore, I'm not going to do them. I'm taking the high ground, the moral high ground. I'm trying it out. You stick yourself on that, you previously held gold trophy. This <laughs> my mate message then. He says, they've given us no reason to believe they can't. In an ideal world, we wouldn't concede at all, let alone first. However, the belief, the togetherness and the ability this team has shown in challenging scenarios makes me believe they can keep finding a way. I think keep finding a way, I can see that continuing. I mean, not maybe at the same points level we've got now, because this has been an unbelievable run. We've got Charlton coming up, the bogey team, but... There will be times when we get losses this season, I believe. Put that on record. Maybe you can you can quote me in the future when oh, we go negative into season. No, so negative. You think we're going to lose this season? I do at some point. Do you not? No. <laughs> you think we're going to? You think we're going unbeaten all season? Yeah, the invincible. That'll season. Be, I'm, I'm not going to go that far. To be honest, that'll be 54 we'll unbeaten overall, won't it? It'll be 54, eight last season, 46 this. And then go and beat in the championship as well, Andy, you're saying? No, don't be stupid. Of course not. What, what, a, ridiculous, ridiculous. what a ridiculous statement you've made there. You think we'll go and beat it in the championship? I, I'm the... quite. I, that was a question, really. Just no, I was going to take it to the next level, considering you thought that we're going to go and beat it all season. No, you've embarrassed yourself there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see in a few weeks' time and see what's going on there. But 
Pompey SW messaged in and says, Pack has been a, the bigger miss than all, we all think. Experience and game management is why he's our captain. I don't think we go 2-0 two, two down against Reading if he started. If Bolton win Tuesday, they'll be within three points. We'll see if it's a promo season after games against them and Oxford. Fred, what are you saying about Pack being a big miss? Do you feel that his game management and the way he plays would have had any difference on the start of this game? I think it would have made the midfield a bit more solid due to the fact that Pack and Morel have pretty much clicked together for the majority of the season, I thought. And going back to the point, we would have controlled the game a little bit better, I thought. And they would have known positionally where they were going. Um, I read recently in, in the news that Massino is targeting the get November game against Blackpool for Pax return later in the month on the 25th. He's been training out on the grass and stuff, so he's been in and around it. But frankly, this game is maybe slightly more comfortable um, about the midfield in the end, because I think even though they had all those troubles in the first half an hour, which led to the two goals, I think Robertson's got so much better at playing in the deeper role. And Morel has been superb this season. I think Massino came out in the news and said it's the best that he's ever played for the club and he's controlling games in the middle of the pitch. So I think the midfield will be fine. And I think that will reduce the likelihood of Pompey conceding goals and then having the need to equalise and then go on to win the game from there, I think. I've started to blur the lines of reality and football manager 24 and it's starting to become an issue on the pod because you just asked about Pat coming into the side and my gut response was no he's been shite recently and he's been poor for me he's averaging about 6.2 playing alongside Morel on FM 24 and I'm sitting ninth in the table and then I have to refresh my mind and go out and wait that's not real and it's been the same way I've been Aggie with Regan Poole this week because he's getting mouthy in the dressing room and that's not real. And it's it's starting to become a concern. So if I start saying things on the pod that haven't actually happened, please do call me out on it uh, because it probably has happened in an alternate um, alternate Steam-based universe. The way that Andy was saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in the FM after looking at the WhatsApp group chat. And now, yeah. and now he's got full 180 that he's completely obsessed with it. Yeah, well, I hadn't bought one for a few years. Uh, I think 2019 was my last one. And I've missed the whole if you can't beat him, join him thing. And the group chat was winding me up. I've got it on mute anyway, but the amount of screenshots, so I had a weak moment and installed it. But it weans its way into your own life. And I've gone completely off Ryan Schofield as a result because Norris has got injured. And I don't know if you boys saw the goal, the goal I conceded the other day in the 89th minute against Peterborough, uh, an equaliser where they volleyed it into my area. Sorry, they um they did a long ball that went literally into my own area. And instead of catching the ball, Schofield tried to volley it, scissor kick it out straight into one of their defenders' faces and it went into the goal. So um, he is off my Christmas card list and I will not be paying for iFollow for any of our EFL trophy games where he's appearing as a result. We've gone off-piste. Hugh, bring us back. Be the host. Cool. So when you see the Ryan Schofield goalkeeper kit printed up going on eBay, that was Andy's. He's now getting rid of it after his FM performance. Being pressed the message in and says, no, but maybe our fortunes will change around and we'll score more. Well, that's what I'm saying, Dean. I'm hoping we just start changing the, the slow starts rather than necessarily the winning. That that would be 
absolutely perfect, really. So long may that continue to quote Andy Mitchamore, the great man himself. Let's move on to the next question. Opon be getting enough creativity and production from their wingers. There we go. I sort of got it right in the introduction. Thanks for the message in again. Josh Lish messaged in and said, are any of you guys getting a bit concerned by injuries piling up? I am concerned to a certain extent with the depth on the left wing. In the long term, I think. Of course I think you it's are, pro- Freddie. It's... You hate Tino Andrew <laughs> no, playing out there and no, you want to get fine. rid of him. Send him fine. back to Chelsea, you told me. I understand. I Did I literally say send him yeah, back to Chelsea? Did. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Well, I don't know you where have been brain, drinking, I, 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 though. I, 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 you you actually know. say that? I don't That's know where my brain was at that point. He did. He was so angry. <laughs> you actually said that? He's not even joking. Don't, no, no, I don't remember, joking. to be honest with you. But if I did say that, I'm sorry. But the depth there isn't brilliant. I would prefer Andrin to play as the number 10 for obvious reasons because he's that's his preferred position. I think he does incredibly well there with his physicality, his drive forward. And Abu Kamara is... I don't think he's been playing poorly, but he's been showing signs of a player going through his first football league season playing men's football. And he's a bit knackered and he probably needs a bit of a break. We all thought he would be an impact player off the bench, but he's immediately played his way into the side. And Mercedio came out in the news and said the criticism of Kamara a while back was wayward. And I agree with that as well. I think he's done fairly well this season considering so yeah, I'm, I'm concerned only with that side. I think right wing we're fine. Paddy Lane's first team spot in that right wing, he's pretty much got that on hold and with the two assists against Reading. And then Gavin White is just a solid option to bring on off the bench. And squad depth wise, I think it, I think it's great. Um, and I think he, sh- even though he thought he would have more output by this point, I still think he's a solid player. And we don't know on the left wing if Anthony Stardis is going to come back. So there are vague concerns with that left wing spot purely because that's probably the only position where the squad depth isn't quite there in comparison with other parts of the pitch. Sure, Mesh in. He says enough creativity, yes. Enough productivity, nope. We've created a number of chances in our last two games from wingers, but not taken by others. But they need to start chipping in with some goals. Are we happy that apart from Andrew, who's really, I, I suppose, not necessarily a winger, but are we happy if the wingers just start, I mean, not just scoring, but if they if they keep picking up assists like Paddy Lane has in the last game, and obviously Sean messaged this in last week before this. So sorry about that, Sean. But are we still happy in that sense? Or do we need them to start carrying on firing in goals on both sides, basically? No, what we're doing is working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Simple as that. Only issue is if, you know, someone like Bishop pick up, picks up an injury, but and you then you do start relying on you know, the goals being spread more evenly around the team. But uh, if Bishop picks up an injury, we've got an entire world of problems. So that will just be one of them. And uh, hopefully, touch wood, won't be the case. Enter Yangi 20 goal season. <laughs> yeah, all over it, spelled S-Z-N, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think as long as the wingers show creativity, they do, it's not necessary that they're always on the goals and the assist chart all the time if they're shown to be getting in the right positions if they're putting in the right sort of crosses into the box or passes around the box to keep the play moving nicely and quickly and if they're taking away opposition for other players I think that shows positivity because previously 
before John Senior came in, whenever the balls went out to the wing, it was it was as if it was sending it into a graveyard where nothing would happen. And that's the exact opposite of what's happening this season. Samuel Messi says, I think we just aren't converting our chances. I'll be more worried if we didn't create anything. Do you think it's fair to say that the wingers then are creating chances in the in generally and not banging them in? I think from a basis of they are creating chances, we are scoring from wide areas. Paddy Lane, for instance, is scoring goals and assisting on the right. I would agree with Fred that the left-hand side is maybe something that looks to be addressed in January. I could see them bringing in another, another option on the left-hand side there. Pompey1898 messes in and says, we're over-reliant on goal-scoring exploits of Colby Bishop. What winger or centre midfielder do we have in the squad that's a reliable source of goals? This has been a long-term issue stretching back to the Danny Cowley days. If played in the correct position, Curtis walked straight into this team. Curtis isn't coming back into the team. He's going he's gonna to go somewhere else and probably, I think what Johnny Massinho said was have a good career elsewhere. That's, yeah, that's literally what he said. He basically went out and said Curtis will have success away from Fatton Park and then on offering him a short-term deal, he added, obviously he wanted to have him at the football club this year. That was when he offered him the deal in the summer because we value him highly. We wouldn't have ever made the offer if we didn't think he would have had an impact. But then I think he went around and basically said that they're looking for other options. And he said that Curtis was very valued to the club considering all the work he did previous. I just assume that they'll look for other options, I think. It, it just seems fairly obvious that that's, that's the route they're going. I think as well, Alex Robertson will get a goal at some point. I, I think he will start scoring a few more goals, just generally. He's done really well filling in a bit deeper than he usually plays, you know, in the pivot as well when needed. But I think Jack was telling me, and I can't remember, Jack Hancock was telling me that, I can't remember what his XG is, and Freddie might know it's off the top of his head, but I think it was five or something silly he was saying. So I love the concept that Freddie might have our individual players XG memorized off the top of his head for the season. I actually thought that was more like breakfast banter between the two of them. You know, <laughs> just like a little cheeky like video call in the morning, like updated stats over their Weetabix sort of scenario. XG and cornflakes. <laughs> I'm not as good That's as what you should call it. Forget the PO4 cast extra. Call it XG and cornflakes and record it in the morning. <laughs> Easy. Oh god. No, I'm not as far as I'm not as far as that, I don't think. Um, according to Y Scout, just in the league, Alex Robertson's total XG is 2.24. And then in the cup games on top, it's just over three. And he has a high volume of shots as well. Um, and he's proven to be in and around the penalty area, creating those chances. So Alex Robertson's definitely due a goal if you want to, if you want to go to that cliche. I don't really have those concerns. I know that this might be completely the opposite of what I said about four minutes ago about what happens if Bishop gets injured because I think we're in you know, more in-depth analysis. I think we're up a creek without a paddle if he does. But you look at the the players in that squad, Andrew is you know now off the mark for, for Pompey and has had other opportunities where he's shown that he is going to be dangerous in front of goal, uh, particularly when he gets his confidence up and with overhead kicks. Devlin's off the mark now and looked like some, in some really good positions. Even even our goal, the second goal that potentially was an attempt on goal that got blocked from him that went out wide before Bishop scored our second goal. You know, he's getting into those dangerous areas. Lane is looking good going forward. As you said, Robertson's due a goal. 
I mean, again, I might be getting confused with football manager here because Morel's scored a few from outside the box for me this season, but he can hit a ball from outside the box if my football manager career is anything to go by. And Shaughnessy is scoring clutch goals in injury time. Poole is dangerous from set pieces. Like There are goals there shared around the team. So I'm not overly concerned by that at this moment in time. Uh, but I do reserve the right to have a full panic if uh, Colby Bishop does do his hamstring in our next game. Yeah, that's fair enough. I was looking, um, just looking at, at numbers, but I won't bother going on about this too long because I feel that we all think that we're getting goals from around the side at this moment in time, including from defenders. And that was something last season where, you know, centre-backs dropped off from set plays. We weren't scoring as much. And now that that's clicking as well. And I think it's a big part of finding a way to win games, isn't it? Players like Sean Asika scoring goals. Paul's been scoring goals as well. We're getting a lot of assists from, from Sparks as well as our you know, as well as the midfielders and, and the attackers. So all round, I think we're on pretty, pretty good feet. Let's move on. We spoke to Fred from Chesterfield Fan TV to discuss everything about the game coming up this weekend away at Paul Cook's side. We sp- spoke about the National League, how hard it is to get out of that division. We spoke about the ex-Pompey players and the squad, the likes of Naylor, the likes of Jacobs, and lots of other things, let's be honest here. We spoke about the ground, what it's going to be like to play on, and just what the style. Is Paul Cook going to play the way that he played at Pompey against us? So here's Fred from Chesterfield Fan TV. All right, I'm here with Fred from Chesterfield Fan TV. And Fred, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, nice. Thank you, mate. So this is a little bit different for us. Usually we actually know something about the teams we're playing. We know a little bit about Chesterfield, mainly just a few of your former players, but we we'll, our former players even. We'll get on to that though first, but you guys are f- absolutely flying in, in the National League at this moment in time. So what's the expectation at the start of the season to to get promoted? Yeah, I think la- last two seasons we've, uh, we're finishing the playoffs, um, you know, got really close. But then this season, I think now that especially Knotts and Wrexham have gone up, um, last season, a two-horse race between those two. Even people who aren't Chesterfield fans have expected us to win the league pretty comfortably as well. Obviously, we've got Barnet on our tails at the moment, um, but in the moment we are top as well. Uh, so yeah, it's going pretty well. I watched the playoff defeat against Notts County. What a mad game that was! And it seems that the squad haven't really hasn't really been a hangover from there. Do we concerned that there might be a bit of a slow start because of that game? Maybe I feel like you know, you know, a lot of times you know teams that does happen to them. But we've recruited really well over the summer. Obviously, we've got a couple of your former players in as well. Um, and Cook's manager, you know, everyone trusts him. Um, so I wasn't really concerned about that to be honest. Um, I know a lot of the time it does happen with teams, but you know we've got off to a really good start. Um, and you know, only one loss so far as well, so it's going really well. You guys got relegated from League Two, was it 2018 you went out of the yeah. Football League for the first time? There's a lot of other clubs that we've seen fairly recently in the Football League, like, you know, Rochdale, Oldham, Southend, who are, maybe they would have gone down with expectations of bouncing back up just based on, like, club reputation alone, which, as Pompey fans know, is not a thing that really works. Like, what's the standard of football like? And, and why do you think the clubs that come down from League Two in recent years... They're kind of struggling quite a lot. 
Villa, I think it's completely just overconfidence. Like, as soon as uh, Oldham came down, Rochdale, um, you know, the, everyone was saying, you know, all their fans, you know, they're going to finish top three, go straight back up. But, you know, all fans uh, of like, other National League clubs knew that that wasn't going to happen. And, like, you know, it's just overconfidence, like, underestimating the leagues. And even though, you know, they are probably, they've got better players than other teams in the league, you know, there's some tough grounds and, like, you know, small pitches and, like, you know, the tough terrain they've got to play on. And there's a few 4G pitches as well, which is a, a different as well, yeah. I think a lot of that is also down to the fact there's only two, only two teams go up. So, so many teams, even if they have a brilliant season, if they lose in the playoffs, they just keep going and then they invest even more money on top of the squad they already have. And you see it, sides from League Two getting relegated and just being, well, nowhere near it because, well, you get teams like Scunthorpe who do the double-double, get relegated from the Football League and then down again because yeah, they're exactly, yeah. nowhere near it. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, the fact that only two go up is stupid. Like last season, I think, obviously not some Wrexham just deserve to go up, but I think we finished on 82 points maybe last season um, and obviously didn't go up. And the fact that I feel like it should be like most leagues, you know, there should be two go up automatically and then a playoff the playoff winner, but you know, there's only one and that makes winning the title even more important for, for whoever does win it. I think the fact is obviously that national like football, sorry, football league teams actually vote, don't they on the, who goes up, who goes down. So you've got a situation where league two teams don't want to potentially accept that, I suppose, and have multiple teams going down and multiple teams getting promoted up um, automatically. Just think about style of play. Cause when Paul Cook played, you know, was our manager as such, he played quite a fluid style, quite a, a heavy possession style football. And I assume he's doing a sort of similar thing at Chesterfield. And how, how does that work out in the National League where you come up against some pretty direct combative teams? Yeah, I mean, it's still very similar to style players to what you'd have experienced at Portsmouth. Um, but like, you know, most teams, especially, you know, when we're at home, especially this season now, we're kind of the favourites for the league. Um, you know, teams come and they just sit 10 men behind the ball the whole time. Um, he's kind of playing it long, you know, time-wasting at every opportunity. Um, but, you know, we, you know, the quality, especially this season that we've recruited, you know, players like Jacobs and Naylor especially, um, they know how to kind of break through, you know, one like moment of magic, whereas before, maybe, you know, in the last couple of seasons, maybe we didn't always have that. You said that some of those other teams that have come down from League Two, you said maybe they've got better players on paper but struggle to adapt I mean looking at your squad on paper uh, there's more names on your team sheet and on your coaching staff than I think most League One teams would probably expect to see in in Chesterfield's squad so obviously we're looking at people like Michael Jacobs we're looking at people like Tom Naylor we're looking at people like even Liam Mandeville was playing in you know league football really really pretty recently for Doncaster um are they the sorts of players where you are noticing a difference in quality between them and some of the teams you're coming up against? Or what is basically the X factor this year for you guys that's causing you to be doing so well in your in your league? Yeah, exactly. You know, we've got so many good good players and I think having them helps us attract even more, especially with the, like you say, the backroom staff. You know, we've got Cook, uh, Danny Webb and, you know, Gary Roberts as well. We, a lot of Portsmouth fans will know. You know, it helps us just like, especially in the games where it's kind of nil-nil, 1-1, one, one. the other team's trying to see it out. You know, just like one moment. I think, like, Jacobs has scored two... Jacobs only got two goals this season, but they've both been really good, like, pretty much from nothing, and he scored two really good goals. So, it's, you know, it's things like that where you can really notice kind of, like, the difference between some of the players we've got and maybe other teams. 
Yeah. And in terms of the coaching staff then, I mean, we spoke to Gary Roberts came on the podcast like after they'd left Ipswich, him and Paul Cook, and kind of reading between the lines of what he said, it sounded like they had a pretty horrible time towards the end there. What's the vibe like with them at Chesterfield? Why does it seem to click so well with them, do you think, in terms of the club dynamic and the atmosphere and how the club goes about its business? Well, they've both been at Chesterfield previously. So Gary Roberts used to be a player there in like, you know, 2014-15. Under Cook as well, I think. You know, I wasn't really going to games back then because I was only little. But, you know, Cook was ex-manager as well. Obviously, he's been at Portsmouth. Um and he won his promotion when he used to be the managers, and then it's his, his second spell uh, with us now. And he's, you know, everyone just loves him. He's a club legend, probably one of the best managers we've had like in the club's history. Uh, and yeah, it's just really good. Clicks with the club. Having a look at how Chesterfield will line up, even though the league is obviously the priority, I don't see Paul Cook playing a rotated side against Pompey at all. Do you? No, I, I think I feel like it will go full strength. You know, a lot of our fans are saying like they hope we lose. And I, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, you want to concentrate on the league, but like, you know, at the same time, if we win on Sunday, think how good that'll be. Like we've had it in previous seasons as well. You know, we've played West Brom last season and come really close to beating them, and obviously got bad in the replay, and then Chelsea the year before, and no, we never play like a rotated side. It's always. The thing is, though, no matter who we play, it's you know it's a really strong squad. We've got a lot of like good depth this year, um, so yeah, we definitely go full strength on Sunday. I suppose with your fans, you look at other teams who've gone you know far in cup, cup competitions from the national league, the likes of Wrexham, who, who did a similar sort of thing as well, and, and you know went further in deeper into the competition. But do you, do you think it's something that will help? galvanise the players if you say you've got a result a win or a draw even is that just going to strengthen confidence of this team that it's a championship winning side in, in the division rather than be a distraction yeah exactly I feel like you know we if we did win think how good of a confidence boost that'll be but I think the thing that people are thinking about our fans saying that we hope we lose is uh, the last two seasons as soon as we've gone out of the cup like when we lost to Chelsea and when we lost to West Brom we, our form's just gone completely downhill since then like as soon as we lost to Chelsea, obviously you know it was a, it was a bit of our old manager. He, he, you know he got suspended, and you know obviously it's a bit different there. But like last season after West Brom, we went I think ten games without a win, just straight after for you know no real apparent reason. Whereas I feel like obviously this is a bit earlier in the season, so it's a bit different. I've got one quick question on Tom Naylor. He was never known for his goal scoring at Pompey. In fact. If he if he came up to looking to shoot, I was looking at the stats. Has he got actually got six goals this season, or is that yeah? Just he's who- got six goals and two assists, I think, so far. Which you know, I think, yeah, second top scorer for us. I'm fairly sure. You know, like he's come out of nowhere as well. It's not like he's not even like he's always in shooting opportunities. Just whenever he, he has a shot, it seems to go in. And a couple of them really late on as well. Absolute techers. Just playing for us, he couldn't really really score that often could he but and then no, we said he... Uh, he scored one of my favorite goals in that um that covid game where we had like 2000 fans like the one game we got in the middle of the covid pandemic i think it was peterborough he scored was that, that one you were allowed... was that when you were allowed in and i wasn't yeah when my block yeah. got picked at absolute random it was like one in 10 chance i know keep crying but <laughs> keep crying mate fred you you said earlier about some of the stadiums in your league that are pretty tough to go to for teams that are coming down. Uh, the Chesterfield Stadium still looks pretty, 
you know, pretty good like, as it would have done when you guys were in, in the league or in the, the football league, I should say. What is going to make your stadium such a difficult trip for Pompey to do in the cup? Like, what are you guys relying on to make it an intimidating atmosphere or a, a smaller pitch or just to make it uncomfortable for us? Yeah, well, you know, we've got, to be fair, compared to some of the other stadiums in our league, it's probably maybe the best, you know, definitely one of the best in our league where some of them are like proper, like non-league grounds. Whereas, you know, if you're looking at our ground, it still looks like a proper football league ground. Um, and, you know, we've got the hopefully a set out for Sunday. I'm not sure if it'll quite be. Um, I think, are you, are you guys looking to set out? Do you think the away end? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the home end will pretty close to sell out. Um, so, you know, it'll be an intimidating atmosphere. Everyone's up for it. The players will be up for it. So, yeah, it should be good. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. And obviously, Will Grigg, I think he's your league top scorer of eight goals. He's a player that we're pretty familiar with as well, playing against us in League One. So, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting tie. And I think a lot of Pompey fans are quite happy with it, just with all all the old links, etc., and the chance to go up and, and see how we do against Paul Cook and Gary Roberts. But, I was going to try and round this off now for you, Fred, and say I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game and any goal scorers. I think I think it'll be three two either way. I think I can see you win it definitely, but I feel like if you know we're full strength, everyone will be up for it. So I'm going to say three two to Chessfield, and then Greg Naylor and Jacobs will score for us. I rate, like that you said, I rate that you said Naylor and Jacobs as well. It had yeah. to be done, didn't it? It happens, it happens every time against us. Whenever we yeah. have a former player, they score every single time. If that's yeah. the case, you're in for a seriously good afternoon based on yeah. the number of former players you've got for, for you. Yeah, Amazing. exactly. Um, Fred, why don't you tell people where they can find your channel if they want to watch something before the game? Uh, so for on YouTube, uh, just type in Chesterfield Fan TV. Um, and then on Twitter, I think it's... Just type in Chesterfield Fan TV. I think it's like CFC Fan TV, one, two, three or something. Um, but yeah, we, we've not been posting a lot recently because, you know, we've just gone back to school in year 11 now. But um, I think we're getting, I think Archie's actually doing a vlog uh, for the game. So if people want to check that out after after Sunday, uh, then yeah, definitely go ahead and do it. So so when people want to go and watch the the Naylor-Jacobs 3-2 battering. Uh, yeah. You can go and check that out. But Fred, it's been great having you in the show. Thanks a lot, buddy. And we'll speak soon. Cheers. See you, lads. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Fred, for coming on the podcast. That was pretty insightful to discuss you know, how Paul Cook's team are getting on, etc., I noticed that Fred said about the fact he doesn't think that they're going to rotate their team. But I want to know, Andy, if you think that we will take a a huge sort of rotation approach in this game with Charlton coming up the weekend after, you know, whether we take a few players out or whether we sort of approach this almost as a sort of Freddie Webb EFL Cup competition game and we sort of make wholesale changes to this team and, and go from there, really. I think there will be some changes. I think if, let's say, hypothetically, Colby Bishop gets absolutely crunched by Michael Jacobs in the 23rd minute to resolve a dressing room dispute from 12 months ago, and then he's Tom out Naylor. for six months. It's got to be Tom Naylor doing Tom that. Naylor, the enforcer, yeah, quite possibly. But if that happens, then I think Messino is getting absolutely 
but he's going to get some social media pelters from from individuals isn't he and i don't think it's worth the risk of started of starting all of the big players and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way to chesterfield like i oh, will win the game anyway because i i don't know if we will um, I think we will, but um, I can't say that for certain, obviously. But I think in terms of the priorities, I know it's a massive cliche that the league is the priority. That is far more the case when you are top of the league than when you're in ninth or 11th and realistically looking at a mid-table finish. This year, it kind of has to be the year because I can't see us keeping Bishop for another year. I can't see us keeping another couple of the key players for any more if we don't get promoted this season. So... For me, the league is the priority, and I think we do have a bit of rotation. Having said that, last time we rotated the squad for an EFL Cup game, and it was something like seven changes from the league game before, Messino was still getting stick for playing too many strong, good players because we've now got squad depth, which is something that we've been missing a bit if you look at our EFL trophies squads over the last few years, and you look on Facebook memories from from Pompey News Now, etc. So... I think we'll have some rotation in there. I think we should. But I still think that side is going to be a strong side on paper to the extent that people will say that he's playing too many first-team players. Yeah, I think there'll be a fair bit of rotation. I think some examples, I could probably see Ryan Schofield playing in goal, even even though the FA Cup's a bit higher than the EFL Trophy in the League Cup. I still see him getting the nod between the sticks. I could see Sean Raggett playing... I could see Zach Swanson starting at right back. I could probably see Ben Stevenson starting in the midfield alongside. I can imagine Terry Devlin playing as well. I can imagine potentially Cassini Yangi starting or at least getting on at some point to get those minutes in because obviously definitely being the second striker behind Bishop, you do need to give him minutes so he can develop. I could probably see Gavin White starting, giving him a chance from the from the off. I do think there will be a bit of rotation. I think, and I think because of that, I think it's going to be a really tough game against Chesterfield. I think the rotation is the right thing to do because you've got to check if those squad depth players can potentially replace those who are already starting. But I think Paul, Paul Cook's side, I think they're going to do really good and they've got so many quality players that arguably shouldn't be playing in the National League. I don't see how Jacobs and Naylor are playing in the National League or Will Grigg or Liam Mandeville or Dobra, I can't remember his first name to save my life, but he's an Albanian midfielder and he's very good. They've got a lot there and I think it's going to be a very competitive and enjoyable game because neither side are going to sit back at all. It's going to be an open, fluid match from both sides. You've only got to look at the likes of teams like Notts County and Wrexham and how they've come up into League Two, obviously with money, etc., but still have come up and, you know, are doing really well and are, are both teams that people are talking about to finish at least around in the playoffs or if not, if not higher. And then you look at the, the top of the National League and you think a lot of those teams that get promoted automatically as the top team or in around that and they've, you know, they've only lost one game all season. Those sort of teams, it seems, are better than a lot of the League Two teams that are sort of in the, the lower levels of the lower depths, I suppose, of, of League Two. And Chesterfield have been one of those teams that have been in and around that for, for years now, as Fred was mentioning. So this is definitely not going to be an easy game, not just you know based on the players that we know, but on the squad that Paul Cook has built to be that juggernaut this season in the National League. So when we look at sort of rotating players out, 
sort of see this sort of team as you know you know an established sort of looking squad around the mid of of league two i don't think that's unfair to say i think that if they were in league two now they definitely wouldn't be struggling and there's a lot of teams in league two who'd be pretty pretty worried about coming up against them yeah i think juggernaut is actually a, a really good phrase there i think that's completely the right phrase to use i think you had two juggernauts last season in that league in Wrexham and Notts County and the the amount of points accumulated at the top end of that table last season it's obscene how you know the the difference between the the juggernauts and the have-nots in that league or the haves and the have-nots last season and it it looks like Chesterfield are taking on that role of the sort of imperator juggernaut whatever you want to call it they are going to lead the way you would think for most of the season and uh it's not going to be an easy game. That like it just sounds very cliche, but we've played other teams down there in the last few seasons. We've played, you know, was it Barrow? We played in the cup. We've played um, Harrogate in the cup a few years ago. I don't remember us running away with any of those games. And I think one of them was it that Harrogate was at home and we went a goal down, possibly, or Barrow was at home. We went a goal down. Lo- well, we lo- lost to Harrogate at home. That was when. Uh, Josh Falkingham marked Miguel Aziz at the game. We lost that one in the last minute, I think. Yeah, how, so, how I mean, did we do that against masterclass Miguel Aziz? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like none of these games end up being that easy, do they? Because I mean, they're not mugs, and as you say, as we said in the chat, they have very good players. And I still rate Michael Jacobs when he's one hundred percent fit, and it's testament, I guess, to our squad in that I don't think he would make it into our lineup at this point, even if he was fully fit. And that's probably the first time in the last few years I wouldn't have included him in our best starting eleven in that sort of 10 role or possibly out on the left. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. They're a good a good lineup, as demonstrated by uh, what Fred was saying there and their actions in the league against some teams that have been playing league football more recently than them. Yeah, and you look at even the goals they scored, 43 goals scored already in 17 matches that is pretty incredible all right let's get on to the score prediction times please and freddie webb i want to know your your score prediction please and any goal scorers i think it's going to be a really tough game and i think because it's first round of fa cup there are still replays in this level and i think that's where it's going to go i'm going to go with a one or draw and chesterfield are going to get back to fratton park i think the goal, I think I'll give it to Michael Jacobs, ex-player, a lot of quality. And Cassini Yenge is going to score for Pompey because I think he'll start. You think he's fit to start? I believe so. I was just wondering. I haven't, seen he... any, I haven't seen any injury news recently about him. So. No, I was thinking in terms of match fitness, he only came on for the last couple of minutes at Cambridge. And I guess that's partially because... Uh, Messino was used to uh, was forced to use two of his game interruptions with injuries with Ogilvy and Sadie early on. So I don't know whether Yengi coming on so late was purely because he didn't want to make his third interruption with ten minutes to go and then get an injury, or whether it was because Yengi wasn't completely match fit. I like for a full ninety, I don't know. But um, yeah, going, going off track a bit here, but yeah, my bad. So was, no, is that a chance that Sadie starts up front? in a new role in this game if if Yangi isn't so. isn't fit I don't think so I don't either but I'm just thinking who else would you start up there if he rests Bishop there you go 
There we go. You see, there's the dumb my dilemma in my head there. Who cares about my dilemma in my head? Andy Mitchmore, should score prediction, please. Any goal scorers? I will go with I'll go with a two one Pompey win, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being a draw as Freddie predicted. Uh, I'll go with the two one Pompey win and I think Morel will play because I think you need that stability in the middle of the park. And he obviously knows Naylor extremely well and obviously knows Jacobs extremely well. So I think having that in the middle of the park is important. So I'll go Morel with one and sure, why not? Let's go Yangi with the other. Aussie support. I'm going with the 2-2 draw. I was going to go 1-1, but Freddie stole that prediction. And we like to be a bit different on this. Little nod there to the Fredster, but I want to go 2 2. They've got a lot of goals in this team. Looking at it there, we know how Paul Cook's teams like to play. They're going to try and attack us at home, especially here. I'm going to go 2 2. I'm going to go for a goal from Tom Naylor. I'm going to go with. It's a bit obvious to go. I sort of want to go Naylor and Jacobs, but it's a bit obvious. Let's do it. Oh, no, wait a sec. Okay, here we are. Here's my real prediction here. 2-2. Two, two. One from Tom Naylor. A Sean Ragger own goal. And... Gary uh, Roberts off the bench. <laughs> two for them. And then I'm going to go with... I know. We'll throw it at anyone here. I'm going to go with a Gavin White goal. Why not? On the right-hand side. And another goal from Yangi. There we go. Lads, based off just one final point on this game, I guess, before we finish up. Based off what we saw against Reading and the fact that for the first half an hour or so, it wasn't watertight with Poole, Shaughnessy and Norris as sort of that back three in the centre. Do you play the three of them to give them some more game time together against Chesterfield? Or do you bring in Raggett for one? Do you bring in Towler? What are you doing with the centre-back situation? Raggett and Towler, let's let's bring the gold. I reckon it's going to be a Rags-Towler partnership. Uh, I was going to guess and probably bring in, I think, as a prediction, I think Messina will just bring in Sean Raggett. he replace either Shaughnessy or Paul, give one of them a rest. I think. Boom. Bring the chaos. <laughs> All right, boys. Andy Mitchmore, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks, boys. Yeah. Uh, happy 200 to both of you. It's been a blast. It was so much sincerity. Freddie Webb. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting to know me. It's been it's been something. I don't know what the word is, but it's been something. I think I know you pretty well by now. Freddie Webb, it's been great, mate. I oh, always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners for helping us get to 200 episodes as well. Thanks to that. Chuck us a five-star review. Andy, what do you want? I was going to say, if we're thanking people, may as well thank uh, the guests that come on every single week and the people, ex-players who have come on or current players, ex-players who have come on and been interviewed, ex-manager, uh, ex-CO. feels like an award speech where none of the people we're thanking are going to listen to the episode. But um, yeah, I guess that that has certainly strengthened some of our output. And yeah, cheers to everyone for putting up with the three of us. Uh, if you're still listening at this point, there's at least one of us you can stand. So uh, on behalf of the other two, cheers. Thank you, Andy, the George Clooney of the PO forecast. And until next time. You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!